everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, where we'll be breaking down Arizona State's narrow 24-21 loss to the Cal Golden Bears. ASU drops to 1-4 overall after the road trip and 0-2 in conference play with the loss. I'm Ethan Tuttle alongside the regular crew of everybody, and Jake Seymour's on with us. Jake, how are you doing today? Doing good, Ethan. Ready to talk some uh, ASU football. Yeah, absolutely. Noah Furtado on as well. Noah, how are you? I'm good to go, man. Good to go. And we got Chris Carbon as well. Chris, how's your day going? Yeah, everything's going fine, Ethan. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Having a good day. Getting back in the swing of things here on uh, this this Monday uh, night when we're recording this. Let's go ahead and jump right into things, though, guys. And well, Chris, I'll come right back to you. We saw that ASU had several players get banged up in that game against Cal. Some returned, some didn't. Jordan Clark, uh, he didn't dress after warming up, and then his replacement – Mason Williams was knocked out of the game later on after a violent collision. So let's go ahead and start things off with an injury update uh, and the impact of those injuries in the game and everyone's status. Yeah, I thought uh, the Travion Brown injury in particular was really costly for ASU on the heels of Will Schaefer deciding to enter the transfer portal. Uh, Schaefer only played in four games this year. He has a redshirt available by by pulling the plug now, he's able to get a redo for this year and have two years of eligibility. The problem is when when Brown got hurt, um, with it seemed like a hamstring injury, left leg. Uh, he's not going to be available this week. Uh, but when he went out and then you don't have Schaefer, uh, Tate Romney had been banged up early in the game and continued to battle through that. It's just forced to play James Junkum. Um for a lot of that fourth quarter and the cow was able to run the ball pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, and, and that I think was a big factor in this game. The Jordan Clark thing, they knew going in that he was very questionable. He didn't practice on Wednesday. Uh, but then when Mason Williams went down, most of the second half was played by RJ Reagan, who has not really practiced a lot uh, at nickel or really even at all this year so that's the third guy your third nickel that's that's an issue very important position and then on top of that uh we saw that chris edmonds went out a little bit which led to alfonso taylor a walk-on being in there at, at safety and the team's offensive injuries which have been a lot worse than the defense this season continue to be an issue uh Cade briggs was playing that game banged up for sure and he was not nearly 100%. ASU already didn't have um, its, its top tackles. Uh, and then Sean Na'a was pressed into action, um, and he struggled um, in some of his reps, including uh, the interception that Trenton Borgay had. Sean Na'a whiffed while playing right guard, and Borgay under, under duress, got the ball out, got hit in the ribs. He was hurt, kind of was able to fight through that. But that, I think, contributed to that that interception. So um, this team is, is too thin to be having these sorts of in- injuries, and especially at some of these spots where it's happening. We knew going into the season, offensive line, quarterback, uh, D-tackle, linebacker, and then safety were their biggest areas of concern in terms of their talent and or depth that is where they've had a lot of these injuries and that's a major problem. So I absolutely think that that contributed to the loss as it has uh, previous losses this season. 
And we don't know about Jordan Clark this week. He's a competitor. He'll probably try to suck it up and get back out there. He has a muscle injury. Um, Trey Brown, he's going to be out a while. That means, of course, now that you're going to have uh, to rely a lot more on Kayla McCullough and uh, Romney and then, um, you know, Junkum and whoever else that you can. Maybe you have to throw uh, KV on Thunderbird out there or something all of a sudden. And or you have to <laughs> you have to take Crew Jackson off of the scout team to get try to get him ready. So it's a continuing big, big problem. And um, it's it's I don't see it getting really uh, overall that much better anytime soon. Though there are all guys who perhaps can start to come back into the fold. Like Isaiah Glass has potential. Briggs, he might be able to get a little bit healthier. Maxi Hanachor, I think, will be back this week as another offensive tackle issue. Um, and we'll see about some of the others. Let's talk the overall atmosphere out there in Berkeley. Uh, first road trip for ASU. There were opportunities for the Sun Devils in the end. Cal had that big play factor. They came out on top. They also ran the ball really well. We'll get to all that later. But, Noah, going right over to you, what did you see while you were there uh, environment-wise and just atmosphere? The way the Cal press box is set up, um, you know, you're you're pretty close to the field relative uh, to what uh, is the case at Mountain America. We're pretty high up there. Um, and, and add the fact that the windows are open, and you can essentially you should be able to hear, um, you know, as as much as possible from, you know, the fans and cheers, boosts, things of that nature. And I could really just kind of hear myself think um, throughout that game. It wasn't um, it wasn't very overwhelming. And that was what I felt when I got there. It didn't really fill up much after the hour or so that went by up to kickoff. And then the game starts and you have three straight punts. So I think the what was going on was there was a sense that this this matchup um, was going to play into the favor of Justin Wilcox, um, the Cal head coach. He had you know made some moves to get that new offensive coordinator to perhaps play uh, maybe a style that was more aligned with the Pac-12. Uh, high off high scoring offenses and things of that sort, but but really it sort of reverted to what he's used to and what the fans there um, at California Memorial Stadium are used to. And you know there were moments in the second half, uh, especially when it turned a little more interesting after heading into the locker room with a 10-7 halftime score. But um, in all, I think. Going there, being in Berkeley, you're sort of in this in this setup where the background, there's a lot of trees. It feels like you're sort of removed from a lot of the, the action of the outside world and you're sort of confined to this area where football is going to be played gritty, grinded out, and, and that's sort of what uh, ASU had to do. And in that kind of a game, they struggled, particularly in instances when they had to play with short fields and given the fact that, as Dillingham had mentioned after the game, Cal had dominated the net punting statistic from start to finish. Um, you know, when when you're playing a game that's that narrow and that low scoring, field position, punts, things of that sort are very important. And Cal's kicker, Lachlan Wilson, was very impressive. Um, and Josh Carlson's 
Josh Carlson's performance for ASU in that regard was not. Um, it wasn't the only reason, for sure, but I just think that uh, given the circumstances of that game, how it started, and sort of the style that was that it was played at, uh, that was a key component that really hurt ASU, um, you know, at the end of it. Chris, going over to you for uh, your thoughts on the environment and the outcome. Look, I, I I thought ASU was going to win. We all picked ASU to win. I think the the one of the biggest reasons for that was I anticipated that ASU would be able to get uh, to win the turnover battle in this game. I thought that had Cal decided to go with Finley as opposed to Jackson at quarterback, that was a very good opportunity to get takeaways. But that didn't happen, and Jackson, although largely ineffective. Uh, Bigger arm, better athlete, not particularly accurate on a lot of throws. Did have a couple good throws, including the one touchdown in the front corner of the end zone uh, after Cal had converted a third and 20. Um, uh, uh, that, I think, contributed to maybe ASU not getting some of the turnovers. And turnover bat when you're going to play a lot of close, lower-scoring games, turnover battle and field position matter a great deal. Uh and ASU's been terrible at field position battle, largely because Carlson has been one of the worst punters in the country. They uh, Cal had four pin punts inside the 20 in the game. ASU had zero and had at least three opportunities. Um, so low-scoring game, 10-7 at the half. Um, I think that when you're when, when – you're, when Cal is needing one or two fewer first downs per drive over the span of a, of a, of a game, that is a, that is a monumental thing. And the inability to get any turnovers, I think part of it is luck. Um, but part of it is you make your own luck and that's just not materialized. And, and it's, it's, uh, you know, Brian Ward's gotta be very frustrated about that. In addition to, uh, frustrated with having to play reserves in key moments when you should be having your best players on the field. And, and the other part of this is ASU lacks such, they, they just have very little explosiveness with their offense. And so that is one of the things that can help you overcome uh, these, these other challenges, not having a good punter, not being able to win field position battles, not winning turnover margin. And then ASU doesn't really have the ability to either run the ball with any reliability. They did they did decently well early in the game. By the second half, that was basically done. It was bottled up. So now your margin for error is so small and so winnowed down to the, how you can be successful against a pretty solid, uh, you know, structured defense that it just makes it really hard, especially when you get down into the red zone. And you fail to capitalize on some of those opportunities. Uh, the, the 12 men on the field, that should never happen. Uh, you know, you got penalties uh, and, and other sort of, you know, inability to capitalize on opportunities. And you you roll that all together and you end up with a one in four team that is clearly uh, at the bottom of the Pac-12 along with Stanford. Let's go ahead and jump into an offensive discussion, just rattling off some stats here. Trenton Borgay went 26 for 41, 344 yards, 
uh, with an interception. Cam Scadaboo, 24 carries, 59 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you know, the Sun Devils had success early on that uh, in the run game that kind of dropped off in the second half. Saw some flashes, but overall, let's just get into this offensive discussion. And Jake, throw it over to you. Yeah, Ethan, you know, I th think when you kind of just look at this game as a whole, it came down to, you know, like Chris said, the, the turnovers and generating turnovers too. But also uh, for ASU, they weren't able, um, you know, to keep the keep the ball secure. Trenton Bourget had an interception. There was also a fumble uh, in the contest as well. So when you lose a turnover battle, two to nothing, that's an incredibly deep hole to try and dig yourselves out of. Uh, and on top of that, kind of just something that continues to pile onto that is when you have penalties and other uh, plays that basically put you behind the chains. And every time you get behind the chains, obviously it makes it increasingly more difficult to try and get ahead of schedule, set yourself up for success on the later downs. I um, mean, ASU in that game was three for 15 on third downs and which dropped them, dropped them to 33.3% um, on the season on third down conversions. Uh, and that's 104th in FPS. So this is kind of a team that has kind of, you know, struggle a little bit when it comes to getting the third downs um, situated. And then on fourth downs, like we talked about before, how Dillingham likes to have this ultra aggressive scheme and on fourth and short consistently go for it. Um, in this game, they're only two for five and they're only 40% on the season, which is good for uh, 85th and FPS. So when you kind of look at it in that perspective, when you can't win the turnover battle and you can't generate any turnovers and then you fall behind the chains and really creates a recipe uh, for kind of, um, you know, disaster in this game. Noah, what were your offensive takeaways? We can't talk about ASU's play offensively without talking about the offensive line every single game. Um, it, it's hard to get away from the the challenges they have up front with the injuries and uh, with some of these players who probably wouldn't otherwise have seen any time on the field this season having to to really be step in and, and play heavy snaps, heavy amount of snaps. Um, Cameron Scadaboo, he, he had overall – had a pretty good game because he was uh, impactful in uh, the passing game. Four catches, 98 yards. That's that's really good. He had that 66-yard reception um, as well. But he was unable to to really get things going. Um, or I guess the way to put it is stay consistent in terms of getting three, four yards at the minimum on some of these early downs. And, you know, that was not necessarily uh, only on him. It's just it's just a matter of their circumstances. Dillingham had said in his press conference today uh, that they didn't run the ball nearly as much in, in the second half just because they, they had sort of realized that that's not the strength um, that they could play to against this Cal defense, which was extremely assignment sound um, and and against the front that really had maintained gap integrity for the most part um, and didn't overrun their lanes or anything like that. So in, in all, we're going to continue to revisit this topic. Uh, Scadaboo, he, he's a difference maker, but his, the ceiling of, of his impact is sort of limited with, with what they have um, in the trenches. And I think when you add that, uh, you know, with Trent and Borgay showing some promise, I think in the second half especially, um, there's still things to take away that are positive. Um, again, they lost by three points, right? There, there's some little things that pop up. The penalties that that led to a couple of field goals and back-to-back -back drives in the second half, that can't happen. They had mentioned that. Um, so there there really wasn't a lot more that they needed to do. Like there's, there are a couple of things that if, they, if it falls in their favor, they come out 
on the winning side of this. So um, I'm not going to say it was a total disaster, but there are definitely things that continue to persist in terms of um, their limitations that um, it's hard to ignore, really, especially as they continue on and play um, and play some of these other teams that have better offenses, maybe not the same sort of assignment soundness on defense, but um, the extent to which they're going to be able to keep up with with some of those uh, other with, with the rest of their competition, really, in the Pac-12 uh, is questionable, to say the least. Chris, let's bring you back in for your thoughts here. So let's just build upon what Noah was talking about with the offensive line, because it's uh, quite honestly the worst offensive line performance that I've seen over a three or four game stretch in my entire time covering ASU, I would say, and, and probably even a lot longer than that. Like this might be the worst offensive line that ASU's had in terms of the actual performances uh, in several decades. And here's a big reason for this. Number one, Ben Coleman would be ASU's best offensive guard right now. Transferred from Cal. Uh, he had a catastrophic injury in, before they even started spring football. Uh, Emmett Boley gets knocked out for the season very early on with uh, ankle dislocation injury, I believe. Uh, you have Aaron Frost. He did not play in this game. Transferred from Nevada. He has never been – he has not never been right for this year. He had a torn ACL, uh, whatever it was, 13 or so months ago, 13, 14 months ago at Nevada. They expected that he was going to come in and be able to start right away. Not even close to ready to be able to do that physically or mentally or both. Uh, Eastside Glass. Uh, ankle injury. He has missed the last several games in a row. You're starting left tackle. Max Ihanachor didn't play in the game uh, due to an undisclosed injury. That's five offensive linemen right there. So you're in the first year of a new program and five of your top, let's say, nine offensive linemen are not playing. And ASU had four returning offensive linemen in total on the team. Also, we didn't even mention, you know, uh, Joey Ramos, is, you know, he played several games with a, a broken hand. And then Cade Briggs was, is banged up. He's playing this game starting. And in between some series, he's limping. He's talking to the trainers. He's getting worked on. He's not healthy. And in this, in this game, there were – many instances of uh, guards just whiffing. Uh, Finau, their left guard, missing block. Borgay getting crushed as he delivers the football. Briggs missing a block. Borgay getting crushed as he uh, delivers the football. Sean Na'a, true freshman, should be like their 12th offensive lineman or something like that. He's playing heavy minutes in the game. He's at right guard. He hasn't even been practicing at right guard, guys, right? He's only been practicing at tackle. He goes in at guard. Very first play, I think, at guard, he doesn't even get his hand on a guy. Borgay gets hit, throws an interception. Cal scores a touchdown off of that, I believe. That alone is like the difference in the game. It was a first down. Borgay shouldn't have even probably thrown the ball to where he threw it. Safety, single high, middle field's closed. You shouldn't do that. But it just – speaks to how big of a challenge that they are. 
Uh, Brad Walden, you know, he he missed a block on a fourth down that they didn't convert. Now, building out from that, this team does not have enough physicality or toughness, even mental toughness on the offensive side of the ball. Let me give you an example. Jalen Conyers tries to jump over a guy that he outweighs by 80 or 90 pounds. Okay? And Jalen Conyers has very good contact balance and physicality, and he's hard to tackle. We've seen this many times, including even in this game. Guys bounce off of this dude in the open field. You have to be a tone setter. You have to give be an example for everybody else. We're going to be physical, hard-nosed, smash-mouth. We're going to come at you. We're going to make you feel us. The What I would say is if in life, you either push through the challenges that you have, okay, or you try to dance around them, circumvent them in some kind of a way. That's what it's like when you try to jump over 180, 190-pound defensive back rather than plow through that thing. Okay, there was another play where Elijah Badger, okay, he's their best player on the team, probably, definitely on offense, skill wise. uh, And he has had good performances catching the football. But there was a fourth down play that ASU went for it, and he didn't do his job, which was just to go block somebody or run him off the football at corner, who then comes in and makes the tackle on Cam Scadaboo, and you end up turning the ball over on downs. These are ASU's most important returning players on offense. They're the tone setters. They're the people that you're that you're being that you're asking to be leaders. They they are the example. So when you already have an offensive line that's extremely banged up, it's hard for a lot of the for for that to be your your tone setting. Now they can't get it from the Fautanu, Joey Ramos. Those are their best offensive linemen who are actually able to be out there right now. Um, but it's so difficult when this offense doesn't have big play capability when Trenton Bourget is at quarterback or Drew Pines at quarterback, they don't have big arms. They're not going to be down the field guys. And then you don't have a running back in Cameron Scadaboo or others who are able to uh, escape and break big games once you're in the open field, right? Guys are, they can be chased down more easily. You need something else that is your X factor that helps you win. And what the X factor really is, is you have to be tougher and more physical than your opponent. And ASU is not. And we saw against Cal that Cal definitely had that advantage. And then the other thing is that part of this is mental execution. So a great example of this is the 12 men on the field penalty. ASU should only have one wide receiver on the field in that play. Everybody else is a blocker, one, line, one, one, one receiver. Somehow, after a Cal penalty, Xavier Guillory was still on the field. They don't practice this play with a receiver with that receiver on the field. So he shouldn't have been out there. So now you have a penalty on top, which is a mental mistake. And they're not a heavily penalized team. They have five penalties in this game. They're the least penalized team in the Pac-12. They do a very good job, actually, of getting guys lined up and being uh, operationally uh, solid, especially for the first year. They they have discipline and they have you know some things that are good, but in key moments they've had mistakes. And the the Fautanu uh, 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 false start on fourth and two. I think they were just trying to get Cal to jump offside, and they probably were going to time out there and kick a field goal anyways. But 
They had four trips to the red zone. They scored all four times, but three of them were field goals because of execution issues. And I think I said going into this game, you need to actually turn your red zone opportunities into touchdowns. That would have been another big difference. One of those out of the out of the three that were field goals would have been a huge. Two of them and you win the game. And so it's all of these little things plus your physical identity that are not where they need to be right now. Went over some of the numbers for ASU's offense. Let's go over to the other side uh, for Cal and take a look at their numbers offensively. Uh, Sam Jackson, the fifth, 12 for 28, so less than 50% completion percentage for him, only 130 yards and a touchdown. Jay Knott, 29 carries for 165 yards and a touchdown. So obviously the, the Cal Golden Bears figured out how to put the ball on the ground and run through the Sun Devil defense, especially uh, in that second half. So let's go ahead and get your guys' takeaways on this defensive performance. Jake, going over to you. Yeah, you know, I think when you kind of look at this game as a whole defensively, it was a team that put their best foot forward, especially kind of, you know, early on in the game when this offense was struggling um, and they were able to kind of keep themselves in the game. Really, to me, the biggest difference was as the game progressed, and it's the thing that we've kind of already highlighted on, on this podcast, is once Brown went down and, you know, they had to put in their different rotation of linebackers, guys who normally, you know, don't kind of see the action like that, and Cal was able just to run the ball with Ott, it pretty much took made it so ASU's defense had to have a prolonged drive um, on, you know, for that series. So on that uh, final drive, Ott had 53 yards in a six-and-a-half-minute drive, which milked the clock down. Uh, and, you know, there was another play, too, that kind of exemplified the defense having to stay on the field even longer than what they should have been. Ed Woods picked up a DPI on, I think it was a third and seven, which should have never happened. He didn't have to make that play, but he interfered with the pass, uh, ends up becoming an automatic first down. And now all of a sudden ASU, um, you know, finds itself, um, you know, in the red zone and trying to stop Cal, um, you know, to convert there. So all of those plays kind of become this kind of situation where, it's making itself stay on the field for longer than it should have been, where if they had just made the stops and were able to get off the field, it could have been an entirely different game. And this is someone that I feel like we've seen from this team, the capability to have the three and outs or to have shorter drives at the very least, rather than maybe have some of these longer drives, especially spanning six and a half minutes. Noah, over to you. My opinion of this unit hasn't really changed much um, after this game. I, I think – not having Jordan Clark, um, which was sort of a surprising development to us, um, and then going out and, and having pretty solid pass defense for the most part, um, adding the fact that you also had to use a walk-on at safety. Uh, Alfonso Taylor filled in for, for Chris Edmonds every now and again uh, at the strong safety spot. Uh, plus, you bring in some other linebackers, you're rotating them in and out. I, I think... Overall, they still looked solid, uh, especially in the first half. They they sort of kept uh, they matched the energy that Cal brought on their um, with their defense um, to to really stay down pat. But the thing that I'm sort of struggling with in terms of like my mixed feelings about this is that Sam Jackson, the fifth Cal's quarterback, uh, just didn't really look that good. <laughs> like it didn't look like he was capable of really challenging. ASU's pass defense all that much. Uh, he was very inaccurate uh, on most of his throws. He, I mean, 12 for 29, 41% completion rate is terrible. Um, and and when you have 
89 of your 130 passing yards to your top receiver. I mean, there, there just really wasn't a lot. It wasn't a robust uh, passing attack. So, so in my mind, I think that ASU, you know, holding up in that respect was like sort of expected. Um, but regarding the rushing yards, like they finished close to 200, Cal did. When you when you are in that position where you're losing players right throughout the game, I think you had Cooper, Edmonds, and then and another player. They they went out and then returned, and then obviously you don't have Brown in the fourth quarter. Um, you're sort of just worn down at that point. Um, so I don't know how much you can really put on them to, you know, really put up a fight at that stage in the game. Um, Cal had obviously I think it was 89 rushing yards in the fourth quarter. It's a lot. Um, but I mean, that, that might be something that they struggle with moving forward, I think would be the, the biggest concern, um, with some of their health stuff, you know, with Brown not being available this week, uh, against Colorado, we'll see how that matches up. Colorado isn't even really a, that good of a rushing team, but, um, they might be against ASU as they were against USC. I mean, they're, they're, it seems to be a potential weakness. And I think that is sort of my takeaway. Um, it, it can be something that becomes a problem over time moving forward. Um, not so much in that fourth quarter, am I really putting a lot on them? But if they can't really get healthy in that respect, it's um, if it persists, then that's something that is uh, becomes a bigger issue and uh, overall can can really hurt them. Um, hurt, hurt a unit that has been actually just pretty solid uh, this season, even against USC, um, one of the best offenses in the country. And um, and so I think it's more of something I have uh, we have to monitor than make a judgment call on at this moment. Chris, over to you to add on anything. Yeah, just one little correction. Uh, uh, it was actually a fourth down when Edwards had the um, the DPI. Um, and uh, people might say, well, ASU still got a goal line stand there and Cal turned the ball over on downs. That's true, except the difference is that ASU would have started on its 25-yard line with 350 left or something, and instead used all three timeouts and 24 yards difference and a minute or so difference on the clock. So ASU had 240, 250, whatever it was, no timeouts. And it just for whatever reason, that last drive, we were on the field for that, and they're never really, they never really got into any sort of a rhythm there. And I think that part of it, it felt, it felt rushed. You know, that there's the new clock rule where the clock doesn't start, stop on first downs. Right. So ASU gets a first down and uh, or maybe two first downs and and they're not um, they're just not they're they're it, it, they, it was too frazzled. It seemed a little bit too frenetic and the clock was really uh, burning down and they they turned ended up turning it over on downs on incompletion to Badger, I believe, with a minute minute ish left on the clock. But they were only on their own 39 yard line and. Um, so, but when you zoom out more broadly to the overall defensive performance, the thing that I, I, I see is, uh, ASU's doing easily well enough that it should basically be a one loss team based upon its defensive performance. Cal had 326 net yards. That's not good. That's not even close to good. 
Uh, Cal had um, a much lower yards per play average than ASU. 4.2 yards per play. That's weak. That's bad. Uh, the difference really is that ASU is on the field too much defensively, and especially having guys that are banged up and not being not and not having a lot of depth. That's quality depth in certain spots. So you got guys out there that probably don't even know the calls, and you're trying to figure out what you can call as a coordinator for Brian Ward that these guys can actually execute and be successful. So now you're not even maybe using some of the best calls because you're concerned about execution and assignment soundness. That's a that's a bad place probably for a play caller to be in. Um, they're not getting turnovers. That, again, it's a little, I think there's an element of randomness to it. There's a luck factor. There's a guys that drop balls and opportunities or, you know, they, they've, they've, they've not been able to cause as, as many fumbles, maybe get the ball stripped out. Um, that's, that's been a missing element there. But other than really the fourth quarter, not being able to get a stop earlier when they really kind of needed it. And then the third and 20 where Trey Brown had an opportunity to get a tackle on that reception that would have forced Cal into a field goal attempt as opposed to getting a touchdown on the very next play. It's a very good defensive performance. You know, uh, it Cal's playing at home and scored 24 points. Like, you know, had no quarter. Cal had no quarter in which it scored more than once. That's a good defensive performance, but but uh, ASU's offense is not is not is not matching it. Not doing enough. Not nearly enough. And it's putting the defense into just very difficult, almost impossible situations in some of these games. Yeah, let's go ahead and chat about this a little bit. Kenny Dillingham said at uh, today's presser that ASU's offense isn't providing as much physicality as the defensive side of the ball. What do you guys make of that as a whole? Jake, we'll kick it over to you first. Yeah, I think this kind of has been a problem for ASU, and Dillingham has even acknowledged it himself, dating all the way back to the beginning of uh, preseason camp. Uh, when you know he came out and basically said there was – I remember this play vividly. It was a team session. It was 11-on-11 offense versus defense with the ones. And the defensive sideline was really kind of just energetic, jumping around uh, and really into it. And the offensive sideline was more kind of just quiet, kind of just sitting back and letting everything develop. And the defense was really aggressive on that play, got the stop, and that was the final period, the final play that ended practice. Uh, and afterward, Dillingham was asked about that, how it was something, you know, is he, was he concerned or is it, what was the, kind of the comparison between the defense and the offense? And one of the things he said was that you can't fake it. You, you got to play to basically who you are and who you are as a unit. And I think with ASU, when people think of physicality, that could be someone that kind of comes to mind that just always kind of amped up, always ready to go, um, kind of like that sm smash mouth style of football. But really, you know, what it, come, what it comes down to is when you look at this team, that there are some players that are very physical. Cameron Scadaboo, guy who is really physical, going to give you everything he can pound for pound. Um, and he's a guy that you kind of have seen the way that he leads kind of, um, you know, kind of go go out against the entire offense. So, for example, an example of that is with Scadaboo. He was one of the only running backs to run the entire length of the field or into the end zone on any running play and increasing the camp. And then we saw 
other running backs starting to do that. And then Samples said to his receivers, you guys should start doing that. And now all of a sudden that's become almost a normal with ASU's offensive skill position players. Start with Scadaboo. What ASU needs on offense is more of those guys to come out and start leading, by example, with the physicality. So that becomes contagious across this entire unit and how they're able to uh, kind of build off that day in and day out by each each one of their position groups. Noah, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, so I think that um, you know, I hate to really pinpoint one player, but I think there's some something that stood out to me, not just in the Cal game, but um, in in all five games to some extent. I I've seen Conyers miss some blocks here and there, um, some blocks on the perimeter, especially um, against DBs and things of that sort. They're running a lot of screens, so he's involved a lot in that respect, where that's his function on a given play. Um, I don't know. I just feel like he should be better with that at this stage in his career. There was, there was a time when, uh, you know, he was, he was coming over from Oklahoma and he hadn't really played with his hand in the ground, had to adapt to that. Um, and he's kind of done that. He, he's made that transition, I feel like. Um, but right now, it, you know, he's listed at 6'4", 270, something like that. Uh, he's a big dude really big dude and it just doesn't feel like he is embodying some the the sort of physicality that Dillingham suggested when he said before the season that they have to they have to be like a Utah they have to they have to present those sorts of qualities on offense um Brent Brent Keithy is is the Utah tight end and when you watch him he's not very uh you know he's not very big He's not very sort of physically imposing, but he still sticks his nose in it like pretty consistently because that's part of what the expectations are there um, at Utah. And so Dillingham is trying to push his players toward that ideal. And it just doesn't feel like they have made um, a ton of progress in that respect. And, and obviously that's why he brings it up in the presser today. Um, so there are those little things that um, – Handling that is a way to maximize uh, what this what this offense can do, given its limitations, because you, you essentially want to control what you can control. You can't control the injuries. You can't control the personnel losses at all, at all these different positions. You can control if you're a player on the field, some of these things that you're being taught. So in, in terms of like what they have to do moving forward, I don't I don't know exactly. I don't know how you fix that. Right. Um, it's almost something that you have to you have to be willing to do on an individual to individual basis. So uh, uh, is it promising after what we've seen? It, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I just know that um, the, the gap between where they should where they want to be and where they are is is, is not. Uh, it's pretty big. Chris, over to you for your thoughts. I think it comes down to Billingham saying pretty consistently in August, even before then, into September, that they weren't really sure who their offensive leaders were. And they needed guys to step up and be, be leaders. And you lead by example, not just your words. And the example is, uh, in football, to a large degree, how hard you get after it. How 
tough, tenacious, nasty that you are. And if you're Elijah Badger and Jalen Conyers, right, you you have NFL aspirations. The goal, I'm sure, for these guys was to get drafted high after this season, okay? And a big part of that is not just catching the football and running around looking pretty. A big part of that is that people are going to – when they, they do a deep dive on you now, okay? These, these scouts and GMs, they're going to find out everything about you. And they're going to watch every play, and they're going to make multi-million dollar decisions about you, okay? And what they're going to want to know is, is this guy a great leader? Is he a hard worker? Is he somebody who demands the best out of himself and his teammates, right? Is he hunting for work? Is he somebody that I don't have to worry about trying to push uh, in practices to, to, to give me his all? Is he going to watch all the film and understand the opponent and everything on a week-to-week basis? And I'm just going to be really blunt here. There are things, plenty of things, that Jalen Conyers and Elijah Badger, who were expected to be the leaders for ASU's football team this year, they're getting the most NIL money, they're the guys that you worked hard to bring back, that they're not checking all of these boxes enough. They're just not. You know, they're still they're still really good players and they still are able to go out there and make big plays and do things that are impressive. And you go, yeah, OK, cool. That's great. But I'm just saying, like a lot of people in media and fans, they kiss guys butts, And it's like there are there's a little bit of a jock sniffer sort of a thing that's out there. Right. I'm going to keep it real. These guys can and should be better. And if they have the aspirations that we all know them to have, which is to get drafted really high, people are going to, they're going to dig in. They're going to see, right? So if you miss a block, if you miss a bunch of blocks, if you haven't, if you've got assignment soundness issues, if you, if you're, if you're eight, weigh 80 pounds more than somebody and you try to go around them or jump over them, as opposed to knocking them on their backside, people are going to take notice of these things. Right. And though, and by the way, do you want to be a leader of your team or not? A leader is the people who are constantly getting on their teammates because their teammates aren't playing up to the standards that they've set. They aren't matching their intensity and their toughness, right? I personally, we are out there at practice all the time. I don't see anybody on offense that does that. Do you guys? I don't think so. You got a bunch of guys who are quiet and content and they go through doing what they do in practice and then they go home and they they do whatever they do. And I'm not saying they don't work hard in the weight room or they're not studying film or and I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that you don't that these guys do not have an intensity about them that I am 100% confident exists at Utah. Right to use Noah's example, to use Dillingham's example, I am a hundred percent sure they don't have the intensity that existed uh, at Oregon State. As another example, you need receivers and tight ends who are going to make defensive backs and safeties afraid to play you. Right, they don't want to match that physicality. They don't want to have to bring that. And the ASU is not doing that. And when you have the type of limitations that you have on offense, it makes it really hard. And, and, and listen, 
when you know you're not going to a postseason, and you know that uh, you're probably not going to be a really good team, that makes it easier for you to be to make excuses that come into your head. Well, why am I doing all this, playing so hard, and doing all these things when that's not going to necessarily take us anywhere this season? But you are what you do. You're what you are, what you do. And that is what everybody else is watching is making an evaluation of you, right? So you got to be able to summon more, to show more, to do better and more if you're some of these star players on ASU, on ASU's offense. Uh, They're getting that from a lot of their defensive players. Like Jordan Clark, he was devastated to not be able to play in that game. You could tell. He – Dude's got a serious injury, and he's being consoled by 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 a person because he can't go play football because he loves it so much, right? He is the type of guy who hits you as hard as he can, 180-pound dude, pops up, celebrates, excited, whatever, right? You got to have you got to have that on the offensive side of the ball, and um, this in in. We've talked about a lot of their limitations and flaws, but this becomes uh, infectious if you have that with your leaders, and they don't have that right now, and that's one of the major reasons that they are 1-14. If I might add to that, by the way, Shamari Simmons, remember the, the situation with, with his injury and the the sort of last-minute change in, in him playing uh, what was it against Oklahoma State or Fred, uh, I forget which one it was exactly. It, it's it's safe to say this now because it's been a few weeks. The mm-hmm. guy dislocated his elbow in practice on a Wednesday. And nobody thought that he had a chance to play. In fact, a person in the program after he played the, in that game said that Fresno State, right, said that uh, they've never seen that happen before in their career. A guy dislocates his elbow, plays a few days later. So, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say, we could say that now. It's been a few weeks. He wore mm-hmm. a, a huge brace on his elbow. Okay, whatever. Uh, yes, go ahead, Noah. That, you, to your point, that is a display of toughness and a willingness to, to give your all that I don't know that we're getting, that we're seeing that from some of these other guys. Yeah, no, that 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 just popped into my head, right? Because Jordan Clark's a good example. Simmons, and and by the way, those are two di- two different pl- players in, in terms of their circumstances. Clark has been at ASU, right? So he's essentially carrying through uh, a, a sort of culture among the returners. And then you have a newcomer, right? He's sort of he, he's coming in and trying to to he f- follow the lead of some people, but he's also in in what he did leading by example in terms of like, okay, I'm, I, I came here to play and to compete with you guys. Right. And that, and that is a powerful message that I think they've all sort of uh, taken note of. And, and, and by the way, I, I might as well throw this in there. Tra- Travion Brown, the, the uh, he's, he's basically the leader of that linebacker room, right? He's injured right now, but every single practice, uh, individual periods end. They they huddle up and they break that huddle by 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 saying like death row or something. And he and he told me that that 
Uh, obviously, it originates to to the the label and everything, but it is representative of having to be violent, of having to to be the people, aggressors. People probably don't know Death Row Records, by the way. No, you, oh, you need to explain. Oh. I mean, some people do, but not enough, right? You, you pop yeah. culture reference, Death Row <laughs> Records, Suge Knight, Dr. Dre, Tupac. In the '90s, it was like uh, they were intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you knew you knew that you, you knew that was a little that that was going to be a scary scene, you know. But <laughs> sure, right. but and and by the way, some of the offensive guys they do do they do this. Joey Ramos is playing with a broken hand. That's a display of toughness. Kay Briggs has had a knee problem that he's been playing multiple weeks through. So they, you know, uh, even really Drew Pine. And Trenton Bourget have been trying to get out there when they've been hurt, you know, and they're still giving it their all and, and trying. But but you need your star players to just appreciate how hard that some of these guys are grinding and to match that or even exceed that and set an example from a physical toughness intensity standpoint that, that helps drive that overall message of the cross. Yeah, I was just going to follow up on that. I think that's the important thing is that those, you know, the players that you highlighted earlier that are on the, the highest, you know, NIL deals and whatnot, you know, just reflecting, uh, you know, the effort that they've seen beneath them uh, is also a huge thing. And, you know, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that and see if the uh, offense can turn it around. And if so, when that will be, who will step up? You know, culture doesn't change immediately. It takes some time, but uh, we'll see if they can control what they can control and know his words uh, and when that'll happen. Uh Moving on, though, we'll talk a lot more about Colorado and, and this weekend's game coming up in the podcast that will drop on Thursday. But uh, ahead of that, what does ASU need to do to turn around, get back on track, potentially even get back in the win column? Jake, start with you. You know, maybe as cliche as it, as it is to say it at this point of the season, just because it's something that has been repeated throughout the season, but it's the turnovers. ASU has to, has to generate turnovers on defense. And that's kind of the thing that, We've talked about so much. You know, we've we said last week that there was a chance ASU could could do it against Cal. They didn't do it. So you're at the point now in your season, from just an outside perspective, where it's hard to necessarily say on any given week that ASU is going to win the turnover battle this week because they've proven for five weeks now that's something that they have struggled and haven't done in five weeks. So for me, that's the biggest thing heading into this game and just kind of the thing that I'm going to be keeping an eye on on Saturday is how does ASU do in the turnover battle? How are they able to win it? Or can they at least keep it relatively close um, and generate some of those turnovers if their offense makes uh, mistakes? No. And Jake, I don't have anything much different from that. I mean, you look at ASU's turnover margin. Uh, I was alerted to this earlier today, really. Uh, their turnover margin is minus 2.40. That is dead last in the NCAA. Guess the next closest team. Minus 1.75. Like the gap is literally massive. I there are certain things that we've talked about, you know, on a week-to-week basis that have sort of resulted in um, or I guess I should say prevented them to some extent forcing turnovers, right? But when you turn the ball over a lot, which they have done pretty consistently, I thought, uh, you know, Borgay for the most part, he was pretty solid in that respect um, this past weekend. But when you have those weeks where you 
turn the ball over. You had the eight turnover game, right? And then you you pair those struggles with with an inability to to really force other teams into those situations. It puts you at a disadvantage, especially when you have some of these challenges that we've discussed so deeply on offense and on defense. So to try and give advantages right to you to put yourself in better field position um right to to shift momentum even from from a mental aspect they have not been able to do that and you know in, in my mind it, it seems like they should be able to brian ward has shown the blitzing he, they they've been able to get pressure in the pocket it's just i don't know the, chris has brought this up a couple times there, there's elements of luck and, and sort of randomness uh, baked into this. I mean, we're, we're through five games, so it, it is, you know, it, it, we're almost halfway through the season. Um, so, so the sample size isn't necessarily extremely small, and they're still in the position they are in, in terms of turnover margin. So I, I think some of those things, right, outside of what controllables I sort of mentioned earlier, that's that's another thing that they, they – we have to monitor really for them uh, to, to see if they can essentially counteract uh, some of the injuries and some of the, the, the weaknesses that they're going to have uh, for running the ball, uh, stopping the run potentially without Brown this weekend uh, and, and all of that moving forward. Yeah. ASU, like we mentioned, not a lot of vocal leaders, Colorado, a team coming in that absolutely has, Plenty of vocal leaders and a lot of energy right now. Chris, let's go to you really quick for your final thoughts here. Just building off my earlier comments, the very first and most important thing that you have to do is become a more physical and intensely focused offense. To You're not going to become a much more explosive offense. Your quarterback's not going to all of a sudden – get a much bigger arm, your running back's not all of a sudden going to be able to outrun defensive players. So you're not going to, your offensive line is not all of a sudden going to be able to run GT counter a lot better blocking. They're not going to be able to pass protect a lot better. Like there's things that you can't necessarily change, which is more like your skill and your athleticism. What you have to change is your mentality. You need to become a more determined team, number one. And by the way, that also, that, that's the energy. That is the something, that, that is the, that, that thing that maybe can help you with the turnovers to some degree. Uh, there's only eight teams in the country that, are, that have a worse than a 1.0 turnover differential. So for ASU to be at, at minus 2.4, it's insanity. Like you can't win games when you're so limited on offense. Um, the other thing is maybe you need to find, maybe you need to have a punter tryouts or something. Like on any given week, I'm not, um, this is not facetious. On any given week, there are several better punters in Arizona high school football on Friday nights than the performance that we have seen thus far from Josh Carlson. The ace who has a walk-on punter, he doesn't really seem to be that good. No offense to anybody. But I don't know if that's the answer. But you you, you have to come up with – you have to do something differently. What does that look like? Do you go to rugby-style punts? Do you have your quarterback punt the ball more by dropping back and punting when an opponent doesn't have somebody back there? 
what do you do? You have to come up with something because you have one in 19 that are pinned inside the 20. Opponents are consistently getting the ball 10, 15, 20 yards of better field position than they, they should have. So, and then the other thing I guess is just continue to try to understand your personnel better. Dillingham talked said, okay, we probably got to get the ball even more in the hands of Badger because of his post catch ability is the best probably that you have on the offense. So how do you do that? You run even more screens and even more quick game for Badger in some in some kind of you bring him into the backfield. They did some things with Geo Sanders where they had him in the back, but they gave him to him on handoff, doing different things. You're going to have to probably also throw in some more wrinkles, continue to do trick plays like they've been doing. Trenton Bourget somehow kept coming up with the ball that shouldn't have been caught on this, the, the fake, the, you know, the fourth down play. Um, but they're, it's rough, and they're going to be going up against way more potent offenses on the back half of their schedule in their remaining games. And – they're going to need to be able to get more turnovers and be more efficient on offense and also more physical. Thanks, Chris. And as always, thank you to listeners for joining us once again, ASU versus Colorado this week. Stay tuned for all the coverage on the way. That's the wrap, though, for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For Noah Furtado, Jake Seymour, and Chris Cartman, I'm Ethan Tuttle saying thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.